This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, in their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and today I am joined by Tim Bell from Canterbury University in Christchurch. Yeah, kia ora from uh, up north. (laughs) Welcome. So how was your bubble life? Uh, Bubble life? I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, we had just moved house uh, after sorting out our old house after the earthquake. So we'd had about nine nine years or so in a house that was broken and uh, just took a wee while to get organised and uh, moved house. And we're really quite enjoying the house, but we're out and about so much we were hardly ever there. And then suddenly we got to just enjoy living there all the time. Uh, it was just me and my wife, Judith. Uh, our kids have long left home, so we had a whole house to ourselves and... It was a little bit like a holiday, um, although we also ended up in both our roles being very busy uh, with stuff to do as well. So it was it was pretty full on, but a nice environment. So you were working from home? Yeah. So I uh, teach at the university um, and I happen to be responsible for the facilities in our department, uh, which, of course, turned into virtual facilities very quickly we had to try and make sure everyone had good facilities at home uh and of course every time the levels change too and i I imagine other people will have found this there's actually a lot of work to do when you change levels because to do health and safety plans and you know work out where all equipment is and who does what and all that sort of thing uh so that uh that was probably the most demanding thing is just adjusting to each level but of course level four was the hardest one to adjust to how do we put everything online so that uh, that certainly kept things pretty busy so you moved your teaching online yeah uh so classes uh, had to be online of course Uh, we used mixture of zoom teaching and pre-recorded lectures and moodle on online and that sort of stuff um, and then uh, Judith was sort of in the next room uh, using up the other half of the internet connection. Uh, she's a music teacher, and so she was busy working out how to teach music online, but she's on the National Mensa Association, so th- they did a lot of work putting out um, guidelines for teachers as well. So it feels like you know both of us were helping everyone around us to, to teach online, which is really fun, lots of opportunity for creativity. And the, what you're famous for is the computing unplugged, Mm. Does that offer opportunities for people that were teaching computing away from their normal resources? Uh, yeah, it did really, because um, in particular, uh, we wanted to, we, very quickly, we thought, gosh, we need to adapt our um, lessons and so on because they're designed for use in a classroom. Unplugged, you get away from the computer, you're doing lots of physical activity and so on, and it is very popular. Uh, but how do you do that when you're at home when it might just be a, one parent and a kid? 
you may not have a stationary cupboard full of cool pens and paper and things that you can use and so on. So uh, we actually spent a lot of time near the beginning uh, developing an at-home version of the unplugged material, which is available on the, the website, csunplugged.org, just mentioned that. Uh, and it's still growing, actually. It, 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 it was a lot harder work than we thought. We, we set ourselves some pretty tight constraints. Um, it had to be that people could just make things out of packaging and things like that. Um, we didn't want to assume people had a printer. We didn't want to assume that a parent might be that interested in doing it and so on, so, uh, just to make it as accessible as possible. So so that was a nice challenge. Um, and we're still working on it. We're, we're, we're still coming up with new activities and so on in these very constrained kind of situations. Let's take the first of your music uh, choices. Let's take Beautiful In My Eyes. Tell us about the song. Oh, um, yeah. So, so Judith and I uh, have played in various bands over the years, and uh, this is a song, particularly at weddings, get, well, used to get requested a lot. Uh, but it's kind of a special one for us, I guess. We've been married. Oh, how long have we been married? Uh, anyway, more than thirty-five years. I can't remember. Um, and uh, so it's you know it's been a wonderful journey together, and it's a song that we've. Um, I, I, I'm playing piano, Judith singing. Uh, it's just simple song but I think really good word about words about relationships and uh, you know being together for a long time you're my peace of mind in this crazy world you're everything I
You're a musical family. Uh, yeah, both our sons ended up doing music degrees, as uh, although one ended up doing a computer science degree as well. But uh, <laughs> uh, as they grew up, we, we kind of were a family band and uh, been very involved in the music scene, um, which is kind of nice. Um, in fact, during lockdown, I, uh, I I own a pipe organ, which I leave at the local church. But I oh, sorry, not a pipe, a digital pipe organ. Um, but I went and grabbed that in a hurry, which is not something that you normally grab in a hurry, and uh, installed that at home. Uh, so that was kind of fun to have around too during lockdown. So yeah, music was a big part of that for us as well. Uh, and of course, you get these these bubble bands, you know, that we we were developing things where different people were contributing uh, to a pe- one piece of music. Quite hard work, but a, a good discipline and keeps the sense of community going as well, which is kind of fun. Those recordings, although they look as though they're all on Zoom playing at the same time, they're not, are they? It's more complicated than that. Yeah, you just can't do it that way, unfortunately. And um, I've had a few thoughts about how you might write software to do it, but it, um, essentially what happens is someone sends out a click track or basically a, a backing, and then everyone else puts headphones on and records their part on top of it. Uh, it takes a lot of planning, actually. I probably did about 20 of those um, during lockdown, because um, we were doing the music for a church service regularly, and uh, so we sort of kept the band together that way. Uh, and it's amazing how good a recording you can get just with someone's cell phone headphones, actually. So there, there's a couple of apps around that make it a bit easier to share that kind of thing. Uh, we didn't want to spend hours getting just the right recordings, so most of them are sort of one-take wonders, but they they work pretty well and the key thing is people people still got to sing together, play together and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's it's a big undertaking to do a good job of one of those. I admire anyone who's put together a decent recording that way. Let's hear you playing your pipe organ.
so, so that was a Bach prelude um, that I played. Actually, that was for Easter, um, which of course occurred during our lockdown period as well. And uh, so I thought we'd do something interesting for that. Uh, the cool thing about having a pipe organ is we live on the edge of a park um, and I enjoy cranking it up. So uh, people walking their dogs in the park were probably wondering what on earth was going on, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool being able to do that. Yeah. Can you play the bagpipes as well? <laughs> I can't. It would be nice. <laughs> So we skipped through the introduction of what it is that you teach. Right. So I'm I, I, I'm a computer science lecturer at, at the university. So I, I teach uh, all sorts of aspects around developing software, how to develop software that people like to use rather than just how to develop software. So designing good interfaces, making it run really fast and uh, all sorts of aspects like that. Uh, and yeah, we have a, a very large cohort of students. It's becoming a very popular thing to do, which is good because uh, there's way more jobs than uh, there are people available to, to fill. So it's, uh, it's a good ecosystem at the moment for that. Still got gender imbalance problems in the in your intake? Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that uh, really um, gets me going is that uh, we're working very hard on not just gender imbalance, but just diversity in general. Uh, Māori Pacifica are also really underrepresented. And the thing is that if you want a good software product, you really need people to be well represented in the development of it. And essentially the way to address that is, is working in primary schools and high schools when the students themselves are forming a view of what this thing might be. Uh, so we've done a lot of work with uh, schools to basically try and get people uh, on board for teaching it. And of course, one of the things that happened this year is it's the year that it became uh, part of the uh, expected delivery of the curriculum for primary and high schools, uh, which, was kind of good and bad to have lockdown this year because, of course, it meant that there are a lot of teachers who are finally sort of going, oh, well, I need some help to do this. But everyone got sent home and they had to do it online under different difficult circumstances. But it also meant that, you know, we've been quite involved in programs for school teachers uh, to try and get them up to speed. And a lot of them were already online on Zoom and things like that. And so we could run a lot of programs to, you know, just little half hour things to, to help the teachers uh, get up to speed with it. And they, they've actually proved quite popular. We probably wouldn't have thought of trying that if it hadn't been for, for being sent home. So that's that's worked out OK. We, we actually had dozens of in-person meetings planned for the year that uh, were funded by the Ministry of Education. Um, the the program's called Kia Takatu. Uh, but they, just as soon as we'd booked about, you know, 20 or 30 of these events, uh, they all had to be cancelled one after the other. Um, it was kind of nice in some ways sitting at home watching all these uh, flights go past in my diary that I didn't have to take, but uh, and just, just do it all online. Are we kidding ourselves thinking that the the teaching workforce can can learn this stuff or are we going to have to wait for the next generation of teachers uh that's a really good question actually i i, I had thought that i've been involved in this for about 10 years uh but actually it's almost the opposite the new generation are kind of almost immunized against this stuff because they've grown up with the digital things and they kind of feel like they know it but they don't Whereas the existing generation of teachers haven't grown up with it and it's something new and and so they, they tackle it in a, a slightly more organised way and you get the benefit that they've had years of experience. They know how to handle classes, they know how to make things work in school, how to get kids excited and so on. So we're actually, I'm, I'm finding that it's the experienced teachers uh, who are cottoning onto this at least as fast as others. Um, but But there's all sorts of people all over the place who are 
um, really getting into this in a big way. And uh, I think the main thing is just that psychological hurdle of people thinking, oh, this would be too hard for me. And particularly for primary school teachers, it's not that hard. It's just a matter of taking the time to, to figure it out. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou Hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are, whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very satisfying, very nourishing, very fascinating, very fulfilling, very stimulating, very nurturing, and very illuminating for you more and more with every day who you are, triumph of nature's art, connected to all life in an infinite web, perfect, unique, and here, making things better. Thank you. So today I've just been really struck by life and life returning all around me. And of course, here we are, We've been through the shortest day. Here we are. We've been through lockdown level four, level three, level two. And now here we are in level one. That sense of the teeming multitudes of life is just increasing and increasing. And I really, really love it. And I'm so grateful that I get to work up at Orokunui Eco Sanctuary. And I have for the last 11 years. And I've just seen all the life returning there in that protected paradise. And all the life that is protected there just spilling out over the fence proliferating and proliferating and not only the life but the ideology the vision the goals the the love for a native species spilling out into the community and inspiring so many other amazing groups now and we're just so lucky and we're now at a point really with Orokanoi where there are so many amazing other community groups who are around doing this fantastic predator control work and we can just really focus on supporting life, celebrating life for our native species within and around the sanctuary and it's just a huge privilege and a huge pleasure and a huge testament to all the hard work that has gone in and the power of life itself to return and proliferate and renew itself even when it seems impossible. So Today, I've just been really enjoying the sense of life returning and my beautiful hey hey, my beautiful hens that I was very lucky to get the day before lockdown have started laying eggs, which is so exciting and of course means that spring is on its way and they are sensing that return of life in the earth around them, that thrum, that rhythm of life quickening and expanding and it's very exciting to have their eggs and Harvey Penfold my beautiful partner has obviously felt a sense of renewal and rejuvenation because he has returned to the going to the gym every day which is fantastic and he's now wanting me to make him eggs as a result of this and what eggs will I make the eggs of our beautiful hens so it's very exciting and of course whenever life expands and proliferates itself as it is now that spring is springing even in the middle of winter we can sense the spring we can sense the spring when the life returning the sun returning there are all these unexpected consequences there are all these beautiful surprises that we really didn't know would happen and this has happened a lot at Orokunui when we were 
bring back a species that's become locally extinct and by bringing them back of course there are all these other flow on effects that we hadn't thought about like our beautiful kaka our beautiful takahe and tuatara our beautiful kiwi and for example when we brought back the tuatara having been extinct for 500 years in the south island didn't realize that the kiwi would be able to push their beaks down into the earth and slurp up the yolk from the eggs of the tuatara which was very naughty so there's all sorts of unexpected interactions too and something i feel really struck by today is that with the beautiful hens being in the garden beautiful introduced birds so many other introduced birds have been attracted into the garden and the beautiful kittens Poirot and Hastings have attracted a new kitten friend when they play outside for their outdoor playtime so I hope that for you whatever life is surrounding you that you're seeing signs of life returning you're feeling that sense of renewal and rejuvenation as we get closer and closer to spring as the days get longer and the sun shines brighter the sun is returning to us and i hope that you can feel your precious place amidst all this teeming life and i look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much we'd like to think that the kids coming through are digital natives Mm. do they know this stuff inherently right um so no, they don't know it inherently. Uh, they have learned a lot of stuff because, of course, a, a lot of learning is just depends on time on task. And students ha- have often spent a lot of time on devices, although we also know from the research there's a lot that haven't. You know, they're, they're, they're young and people expect them to know stuff about it, but they actually don't. But what's particularly telling is that I think in the last 20 years, really, uh, the public have been protected from seeing what's inside computers, how they work and so on. Uh, and so it's like, just install this. We've, we've got it all locked down. Don't open the case. Don't look inside. Run the security apps and so on. Uh, and so they've lost that ability to actually change what's going on inside a computer, to be able to influence it. And it almost becomes something that's done to them, that they're stuck with what they're given. Uh, so the, you know, the big challenge has been getting them to uh, actually think about how they might be able to program these things, how they might be able to change them, uh, develop their own sort of things. But is the argument that introducing them to what's inside the, the box and the, the computational thinking will benefit everyone and some of them will go on to computing? Yeah, that's essentially it. I mean, there, there's a few reasons um, that they do it. And, and um, for me, again, it's the diversity thing is the biggest driver that you just want to expose lots of students to it because all they know is what they see in movies, which is nothing like reality. Um, the stereotypes that we form of people who develop software don't match the people who actually do. So we want to give them the opportunity to find out what it's like. And for some of them, they'll fall in love with it and you know realize that it's just the thing that they wanted. Um, for others, they'll find out that maybe they thought they'd be good at it, but they don't really enjoy it. And that's absolutely fine. It's a matter of you know kids making informed decisions you know based on what it is rather than on, on stereotypes so that you know that's that's a big part of getting them involved um, and yes the, you can apply it to all sorts of other areas and uh, it's one of those things like literacy and numeracy really is once you've um, understood computational thinking or how computation works then suddenly that opens up all sorts of doors to be able to do things in science or maths or music or PE or anything like that. You know, I just, I'd be great if we could time, it'd be great if we could measure that, if we could build a device that keeps scores or whatever. And next thing you know, someone's invented the next cool thing.
Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hey, bubble people! How's it going? Hope you're having a rad old day. I'm of course having a great day because this is this is the way I like to be. So regardless of what's going on, I try to have a good day. And that's not about pretending, although sometimes it does take a little bit of pretending to get going on that, but it's about trying to tap into how you see the world. And if you can flick things around and think, hmm, how do I look at this in a different way so that it might be a little bit more positive for me um, or positive with my interactions with other people, it's amazing how it quickly becomes your reality. So yeah, I'm having one of those great days. And um, I, in the midst of having this great day, I also have been thinking about things that, um, things that I find hard. So yeah okay let's talk about that because I think (laughs) in order to be able to be your sort of best person you've also got to be really honest with yourself about how you view yourself and you know in this world where we need to be thoughtful towards each other and uh, try to take in uh, the best ways to kind of I guess care for each other That can start with yourself and if you're honest about who you are and maybe what your faults are and where you can improve, uh, it helps you interact with other people because not only are you able to be a little bit more understanding, I think, about the fact we all have these shortcomings, we all have things we can work on, we have our weaknesses and they're they're not a negative thing, they're just part of who we are and the more we can acknowledge acknowledge that they're there, uh, maybe the more we can actually start to chip away at making them uh, less of a weakness and more of a strength in terms of understanding ourselves. So for myself, I, I'm a real scaredy cat. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how I'm going to say it. Um, I really don't like trying new things that I don't have a really good understanding of what I'm going what I'm getting myself into I guess so while I can be quite adventurous in my mind and that means like the way I think the way I learn um, approaching new ideas open to new ideas open to the way people think about things I am not very adventurous with my body I don't like to try new things that I don't know what is sort of the the outcome I guess and with physical activity often you can't plan the way things are going to go um, you can have a, a good understanding of what might happen and you can have the physical toolkit you can be fit you can maybe have trained for things you can be as prepared as you can be with the gear that you use etc but you still can't always predict how things are going to turn out and we can't really predict anything in, in lots of ways. We can we can have a good guess, but ultimately we don't have an awful lot of control, do we, in terms of actual outcomes, what's going to happen. But I find it really, really hard to just put myself out there physically and try something new. And I've been recently sort of trying to change this by trying out some new things and agreeing to try some new things but it's really scary and I've noticed that for myself I I don't want to sort of use excuses 
and I don't want to use excuses such as, oh, I just feel like I'm too old <laughs> to do this, or I, I really, you know, I've kind of never done this before, so why should I start now, <laughs> and things like that. I do want to push myself to try these new things, because I feel like I feel like they will make me a better person. But that's all very well and good to say, isn't it, to ourselves. Actually doing it is the bit that's really tough. So I have been working on this recently and um, I'll keep you updated on my progress. But at the moment, I'm still in that stage of finding it really hard to move myself forward past some of the, the roadblocks that I think I've put up over the years. So maybe there's some things in your life that you want to work on or change and that's great. It's a really positive thing. It doesn't make you a lesser person identifying those things. In fact, it makes you a bigger person. So I wish you all the best and I will talk again soon. Hope you have a wonderful day. Take care. You talked about lockdown being a, a special time, particularly in a new house and, and being able to, to get on music. But there were other things that made it special. Yeah, well, um, one of the things we did is I've got a team of about a dozen people here who uh, work together on uh, particularly computing in schools and so on. And uh, one of the things that made the time particularly special is that we have a colleague, uh, so Jared McManus, his name is, and he's quite well known in the education community in New Zealand in, in digital education. Uh, and, and unfortunately, a couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, so he came to Christchurch for treatment and he started working in my team during that time, which is a real bonus for us. Uh, he's full of ideas um, and generated lots of uh, new projects and resources and things like that. Um, now, sadly, he passed away last week, actually. But uh, during lockdown, uh, he was you know, stuck in his parents' house. But uh, we had daily Zoom meetings. And in fact, he was pretty much on Zoom all the time. And we could drop in and chat and uh, just discuss ideas and plan things and all sorts of stuff like that and even though his health was failing it was it was a really special time uh, and I think actually if it hadn't been for the uh, being stuck at home we may not have seen as much of him because we all had to zoom to connect with each other and it made it really easy to, uh, just to keep in touch and keep him involved um, and, and then actually one of the things and this is one of the pieces of music that, that um, I've suggested that we look listen to today is that uh, when he passed away last week um, my wife wrote a piece of music for him and, and one of the things we do when we're getting kids involved particularly in interdisciplinary ideas around computing is to spell a word out using binary digits zeros and ones and convert that to music by saying, well, if a zero is a high note, as we'll say zero is a low note and one is a high note, then we can code names and things in music. And so, you know, to honor him as someone who is fanatic about digital stuff, uh, she wrote this piece of music uh, that if you know how to decode the, the low and the high notes, you'll end up uh, decoding his name as part of the music. And we got to play this at the funeral last week, which was pretty special. Oh, well, let's take that now.
Jared did his undergrad degree with us. Graduated in um, 2001. And he wasn't the strongest student from a you know, genius programmer, but he had a passion. Mm-hmm. And he had a passion for, for like engaging other people in the sort of the projects that he was working on and so on. Can you spot someone that's a really good digital t- technologies teacher? Um, well, yeah, well, I mean, passion is really important in teachers. And I, I think um, as we've been reflecting on Jared and, of course, he had to prepare eulogies and things like that, uh, one of the things that really came through is that he hadn't forgotten what it was like to be a kid. Uh, and looking at photos, whenever there were kids there, he was just on the floor playing with toys and things like that. And so he really understood where they were coming from. And that way, it meant that if a student may not have been following the path that you know would be normal in school. Maybe they wouldn't have been doing as well as you know the academic system would expect them to. But he got them, and he 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 really understood where they were coming from and how to get them fired up. Um, you know, 17 people came down from his old school in Auckland for the funeral, and, and they were kids that he had really affected. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it's really caring about people, I think, um, that, that was a big part of that. But his technical understanding, he just read and read and knew everything <laughs> too, I think, and uh, got really involved. And the one thing, th- there's photos of him around uh, wearing a sweatshirt that says disobedient teacher on it in big letters. <laughs> Uh, which apparently was used for um, PPDA protests and so on. But that actually, there, there is a book called Disobedient Teaching by Welby Ings um, in, from Auckland. Uh, and it's basically, it's all about people like Jared, the, the teacher who sees that the system isn't quite right for the kids and is able to be disobedient enough just to make cool things happen, uh, maybe a little outside of the strict rules of the system, but in a way that, that kids really benefit from it. And uh, so I think that's that's something that we've really learned from him is, and, and to some extent, I think all the really cool teachers that I've met have had a little bit of that in them. And it's like, yep, this is how we're meant to do it, but let's just mix in a bit of fun with it, a little bit of interest, a little bit of something that's different that will really touch the kids, that will really help them to get engaged with the learning. Thinking about things that are a little, little bit different, everything's been a, a lot bit different in the last few months. Mm. What do you think of all the changes that we've seen? What do you think is going to stick? And what do you hope will stick? Yeah, um, I mean, for me personally, um, my parents are in their 80s. And uh, so I ended up dropping off food for them, you know, at the end of the driveway and then walk away and very unsocial way of doing things. But um, ended up talking to them much, much more often than usual. And that's something that's stuck for us. And I hope that's, that will stick for a lot of people is pe- just keeping in touch. We always like to keep in touch. We enjoy seeing them, but to make it much more regular. Um, for, on the bigger scene, I um, have been ended up in a situation of having to do a lot of international travel. Uh, the, the stuff that I'm involved with, particularly the Unplugged program, there's a lot of interest. And I think, you know, last year and certainly the year before, I probably traveled overseas about 10 times uh, during the year, which is both exhausting, but also I'm always very aware that going overseas just to talk for a couple of hours and meet people for a day and things like that, it's an incredibly inefficient way to, to make stuff happen. And and yet, um, 
it's, it's a well what it's meant is of course all of those things are now on zoom it's nice you know a couple of weeks ago i gave a talk in poland uh during the weekend i had a talk in brazil i've got a talk uh that's coming up um goodness me i've forgotten which is the next one but um you know i get to sit in my slippers and give talks all around the world now it, it, it and so one of the things is you know there's a lot of stuff we've forgotten very quickly when we all came back out into the uh, to, to work and we're allowed out and about in that. But I hope that does stick a lot, that people have learned how to use online systems just to, to have those quick calls to keep in touch and all that, but also running a conference that way. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem to work quite as well as being there, which which is unfortunate. And time zones are a big issue, of course. Uh, and New Zealand breaks, you know, it's bad for just about every time zone in the world. Uh, well, it can be. And so I often find myself, you know, at a conference at nine o'clock at night or something like that, if not on the small hours of the morning. Um, in fact, one thing that I keep on wondering, that this is just, I haven't thought this through carefully, but I wonder if we should set up a hotel or something in each city that operates different time zones. Because the real problem is that, you know, you go to a conference that runs from, say, nine o'clock at night till three o'clock in the morning. And that's fine. You could force yourself onto that time zone. But then at 10 o'clock the next morning, someone calls you and assumes that you're on local time. So, yeah, you just move to a hotel and they have a section of the hotel that's on American time and a section on European time. And... Uh, they turn the lights on and off at the right time and bring you breakfast at some bizarre hour and you can have your own little jet lag there um, but not have to leave the city and still participate online. There has to be some clever ideas like that, I think, that, uh, it's that been, work out. It's been interesting that one of the things that putting all of these constraints onto us has had is that it's actually freed up a whole pile of thinking. There's a whole pile of stuff that we thought yeah. wasn't possible turns out is possible. Well, that's right. And I mean, the biggest example of that, I think, is um, elderly people thinking that they would never use some online video system or something like that. But not just elderly people. It's just people who like meetings in person and suddenly they've, they've been forced to install things and to get a decent microphone and to work out how it all happens. And, and then yeah, beyond that, it's like, well, how can we make this even better? And uh, particularly seen that with my wife teaching music online. It, it's very constrained, of course, in terms of uh, you know what, what you can communicate over an online system and what uh, a lot of the video conferencing things do to the sound of a musical instrument and so on and people not being able to play at the same time but if you're creative um, there's some pretty cool things that you can do that are even better uh, than than how it would have been in person computing has certainly helped a lot in terms of the the fact that we're able to connect do you think it's done enough in terms of support for the the bigger sorts of questions the you know, social justice and so on and, and and i'm wondering if the pandemic has exposed some of those things yeah i'm, I'm sure it has um now in the tertiary system i mean we're already largely dealing with privileged people who have managed to get there and so on and generally will have a good internet connection but for example you know think of one of my students went to the west coast and basically had no internet connection uh, for lockdown how do you how does someone like that participate in a course uh, and that's you know they're not even in a particularly difficult situation but then you think of you know people in the communities that don't have internet or can't afford it and so on uh, and also in situations where you know there's lots of people in the house and you know sharing rooms and and, and all those sort of situations and and yeah it's different people have done 
uh, well out of it and others have, you know, it's been a real struggle. And it's we do have to really remember all of those different situations that people are in. Yeah. That's the challenge to us when we're doing the um, unplugged at home activities is, you know, don't assume that there's anything more than a, a pencil lying around the house and possibly not even blank paper. Um, and so how can you make it happen with everyday objects that you might expect people to have? And even then, you know, you sort of sometimes think, oh, well, this is assuming that people actually have a, a breakfast, you know, breakfast cereal available to themselves, or that you know they have socks that they could use as as a toy or something like that. And uh, you know, some of those things, you, know, you have to assume something, but really aware that there are people who may miss out. Maybe that's made it easier for us to think about how we design computer systems for people that aren't as privileged as we are that don't live in San Jose. Recent recent grads with a PhD in computer science. Well, that that's right, and and that gets us back to the diversity thing I was talking about too. If you know, if there's someone on your team who is first in family to have really got into a job in computing, uh, and you're designing a, an online video system or something like that, and it needs a powerful computer or whatever, that you hope that they would speak up and say, "Well, it's not going to work for my cousins back in you know wherever they are, and uh, we need to you know make it." work for them and and they're increasing the audience of that software they're improving how it works and so on because they've got that perspective on things i have some questions to end the show with right. what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years oh biggest success um i i guess um the change in uh, getting, getting digital technologies as a subject into schools, that, that I mean, that was a huge challenge. And it, it felt like for, I, I mean, I remember 30 years ago, my professor would come back from meetings in Wellington, 30, 40 years ago, um, and just be so frustrated that no one understood what it was about. But it feels like a couple of years ago, we've been pushing this car up a hill, and it's finally gone over the top of the hill. And even if we don't do anything, it'll probably keep moving. So that, yeah, that's something that's been particularly pleasing. It's interesting that it's it's one of those things that's going to take a long time to bear fruit, but we know it's a good thing. Oh, that's right, and and we've done quite a bit of research, and it, it takes a teacher about three years to get really comfortable teaching it, and because this is the first year that it's really been mandatory, and of course, quite rightly, Eero, you know, are backing off. They're not going to put the pressure on people and say, "Why didn't you do a whole lot of new stuff this year?" It's been a tough year for people. Um, so it will be a few years before people get really comfortable with it, but we're making good progress. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So what's the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Oh, superpowers. Um, I, I guess over the years, um, and you know, to achieve that, it's... Um, the, I think one of the keys is being able to work with all sorts of people with lots of different perspectives. Uh, and, you know, you, some of those people can be a little irritating. Uh, some of those people can have quite different views and so on. Uh, but being able to listen to their story and figure out where they're coming from, and often that's where some of the best ideas come from. And it's, I guess it also gets back to that disobedient teacher thing. It's it's the people that you're thinking, oh, you're not playing the game right. You're not right within the system. But if you can work with them, sometimes you just get real gold from what they're really, really doing. Let's take the opportunity to be disobedient, shall we? Shall we play a song that your son was involved in over lockdown? Oh, yes. 
Yes, so he's a music producer. This is a song that um, was posted to the internet by a small kid, but he's ended up arranging it with the jazz backing. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? An activist? Oh, I probably wouldn't quite put myself that far up the scale, but um, perhaps a motivator, a, um, a prodder. Uh, yeah, be, just just to really encourage people to, to get into things. But I, th I think we tend to lead people uh, by encouraging them and helping them see opportunities uh, perhaps uh, more than uh, uh, the, the view that you know an activist might be someone who's uh, a bit more public and outspoken. But what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Ah, well, people, um, and in particular, the people who are missing out. So, you know, I've said it a few times, but diversity. There are there are amazing people out there who I know would do really well doing something different to the pathway that they're on, and. Uh, the motivation is to give them every opportunity to, to find good pathways for themselves. Not the one that I think is good for them, but just one that they find is, is good, but gives them that opportunity. Because in terms of being an activist, you could have kept your head down and taught first-year engineering students and mm -hmm. not tried to change the education system. And that would be a lot less exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? Uh, um, I, I guess we want to get to the point where teachers are really believing in themselves, that, that, that they know that uh, this, all this new stuff is actually something that they can see why it's um, going to be good for kids and they actually enjoy teaching it and that sort of thing. And we're, we're getting to that point. There are people... Um, dotted through the community, probably quite a few, well, not probably, there are a lot of people I know now who have really caught the bug and are, re are really keen about it. But just to get to that point where, you know, most teachers are keen on numeracy and literacy, they can see the value to the kids, even if they're not that keen on, say, maths or something themselves. Uh, but just to, yeah, that, that would be the, the biggest challenge to, to get student, uh, to get teachers to that point. Yeah. How do you get people that, that engaged that sure they like playing on their iPhone or their iPad or whatever it might be, but really don't care. Are you thinking about students or teachers? <laughs> well, both maybe. Yeah, both. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, particularly with teachers, the one word, manakitanga. Um, it's they turn up, um, and, and generally when we uh, put something on, we like to give them, you know, a, a free coffee, some decent food, look after them because. Uh, it is Manaki is about mana, and they these are great people. These are people who have spent a lot of time doing great stuff, and we really need to acknowledge that up front. 
and even if it is just, look, here's a free coffee. Really appreciate that you're a teacher and that you've come to spend some time with us. And then from that point, um, you know, help them to see what the value is for their students. Because most teachers, in the end, if they can see value for their students, they'll care about it, uh, even if they have, to, even it's at a cost to themselves. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Advice? <laughs> um, I oh, no. I mean, the the thing is really just look for the best in people. There, there are so many neat people out there, all sorts of people of um, of all sorts of interests and passions and things like that. Um, some of them are irritating, some of them are fun, some of them are demanding, and so on. But you know, what's driving them? Because in the end, people are the most important thing. And what can we do um, to bring out the best in them? We'll go out to Computer Games. Thank you very much for for joining me. Pleasure to chat.
been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I've been joined by Tim Bell in Christchurch. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.